0: Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God there may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance,
1: I have not cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of fate, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the shadow of the shade, yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me, unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, and how punishment
2: charges the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain
1: of my soul. Hey, Peace of Mind listeners. Just a heads up that this is the final episode of Peace of Mind, at least for now. And it's pretty heavy. It contains some very raw and emotional conversations about mental health. My hope in sharing this story is that it may help someone dealing with their own struggles or those of a loved one. Thanks for listening. Last year on June 15th, 2018, I was finishing a recording session when I got a text from my dad. My cousin's 17 year old son, Heron, had passed away. It was one of those life altering pieces of news that you never forget. I was in disbelief and I called him back right away and he slowly told me what had transpired over the past 48 hours in my quiet little hometown. It was something that you see and hear so much of nowadays. Heron had died by suicide. As you'll hear throughout this episode, Heron was an extraordinary young man with extraordinary gifts. He was literally brilliant. He'd just graduated high school with a 4.8 GPA and was headed to Harvard. He'd been a nationally ranked policy debater since the 10th grade and was the team captain. But he wasn't just smart. Heron was a -a once-in-a-generation type human being. He had tremendous conviction and stood up for what he believed in. He was also incredibly compassionate and funny.
2: He was a comedic genius. Like, he was... (laughs) hysterical. He could take anything regardless of how sad, depressing, and scary it was and make it into a joke that would make everyone laugh.
1: That's Charlie, one of Heron's best friends. I asked Charlie when he first became aware that Heron was struggling with depression.
2: In the beginning of February, there was this kid from our school who was holding himself up in his apartment, starting to shoot himself. And Heron and I were messaging about it, And I said that I just felt awful for this kid because, like, I knew where he was at. And I was sure some way I could tell him that, like, life gets better and that it does go on. And even if things are as awful as they get now, they can always turn around. And heroin said that he'd never told anyone this before. But, like, ever since middle school, he had on and off contemplated suicide. And he'd been getting really depressed lately. So that's the first time I really learned about it.
1: Charlie, as you'll hear, is another extraordinary kid And we had sort of a kismet moment after Heron's funeral That morning, I was asked to sing something by Heron's mom, Shanti Who you'll hear more from later in the show And I kept coming back to this song, Stand By Me, Father Which was a precursor to Benny King's smash hit, Stand By Me Oh, Father,
2: you've been my free Now that I'm in trouble
1: but since no one really knows that original song, I last minute decided to go with the Benny King version, which I had never sung in public before, let alone a cappella. Here's a clip from that day. If the sky we look upon Should tumble and fall In the mountain after the service charlie told me how he put that song on a cd mix for heron just a few weeks prior and the story behind that cd is where i wanted to start
2: for me to explain how i gave heron the cd you have to know about his first suicide attempt what happened was i was at an orchestra banquet and i had gotten a call from his mom saying that she didn't know where heron was and i immediately began to panic because he told me that if he was ever going to kill himself he was going to go somewhere, like off to a state park or something, go into the woods and overdose. And right off the bat, I was terrified because that's the first thing that came to my mind. So um, I got in my car and I drove to their house and me and Miss Kumar looked around. Miss Kumar wanted to look at the YMCA and the library and stuff like that. But like I knew he wasn't going to be there. So I told our friend Victor to go to Faust Park and our friend Gokul contributed and said go check out Beckmeyer as well. So I stayed with Miss Kumar doing my best to try and I guess like help her emotionally and keep myself calm and Victor went and looked at these parks. Then we got a call from him while we were leaving the YMCA that he just saw Heron walking down the road and we drove over to where they were and I jumped out of the car and just ran up to Heron and just hugged him like hug the life out of him. The thing is, it's like, when you're so scared like that, you can't cry. So I must have just looked like an idiot. So when I was done hugging him, I just sort of stopped. I just started, like, shouting at him. And I was like, why would you do this? Don't you know how much we care about you? Like, everyone was looking for you. And he just started walking away. And I, I ran back up to him. I'm like, please don't leave. And at that point, I started motioning him to get into the car with Miss Kumar and I don't know why this always stuck out to me. I, I reached for his hand and I held his hand while we walked to the car. And when we got to it, it wasn't like he had pushed me away, but it was just like he had let go of not just me, but like of everything. Like he just didn't care at that point. So I just stopped because I felt like he didn't want me to like hold his hand. And when we got in the car, uh, Victor had told me at that point that he had taken a bunch of oxy and had done a bunch of shots of vodka. And I told Ms. Kumar that like, we needed to get her into the hospital right now. So she dropped me off back at their house and she took him to Mercy. That night I got home and I just sat in the shower and I still couldn't really cry. I don't know why I couldn't cry. I wanted to cry. Like it was the strangest feeling. Like I was just kind of staring at the wall and all the emotions were there, but nothing was happening. And I knew that I needed to do something because I knew that because Heron tried killing himself, he was probably going to be put in a mental hospital. And I had been there before. like I've, I was hospitalized for feeling suicidal as well at a point in my life. And I know just how lonely and scary of a feeling that is. So the next day, I got him a bouquet of flowers and I got him a card and I had all his friends sign the card and write a nice message from each of them. The friends who knew, I wasn't telling people Um, I wrote him a card myself, just a handwritten card that was longer. And it was like, you know, you're a really good friend of mine and I care about you a lot and I want to see you get better. And in the card, I included my favorite poem. It's um, William Ernest Henley's Invictus, which is sort of just about like overcoming hardship and being strong and unconquerable. And I also included the CD on the CD. I put some of my favorite songs growing up as a kid that always comforted me. And when I was feeling down, they'd bring me like a smile in my life. When you sang uh, Benny King's uh, Stand By Me at the funeral, uh, I had learned that song because in sixth grade, one of our teachers would play it in class every morning. And it really just brought back a lot of memories. I also baked him this vegan banana nut bread and i brought all this stuff to his house and i got his honor ceremony stuff he missed the honor ceremony and i got him his cap and gown in case he'd be able to make it to graduation and i just did my best to try and be there for him as much as i could because i didn't want him to feel alone and scared the way i did
1: mm-hmm. wow um and, yeah um, and what happened the next time that he went missing.
2: So my parents were out of town on vacation. And since I am a 19 year old kid, I decided that this would be the perfect time to throw a rager. I had gotten everything all set up and it was like an hour or two for guests was supposed to be showing up when I get a call from Ms. Kumar asking if Heron was with me. And at that moment, my heart just like stopped. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but I just got this horrible sense of dread. And I started having an anxiety attack and I said, no, Heron wasn't with me. And then I called our other really good friend Gokul and then Gokul and I started driving around to parks and calling various people and getting everyone out looking, trying to find him. Uh, We didn't really have any luck that night. Um, While I was driving with Gokul, I still wasn't able to cry. I still was just emotionally numb at that point. I remember that it began storming awfully and it reminded me of the first time that he went missing because there was a bad storm then too. And as Gokul and I were driving past this place called Sherman Beach, we saw this really beautiful rainbow. And it just made me so angry to see that rainbow. It just was so upsetting to see something so beautiful when it felt like the entire world was falling apart. So, um... A couple days before, on Tuesday, he went missing on Thursday. I was hanging out with him at his house and I was eating lunch with him and his mom. And I had told her that I was home alone right now because my family was on vacation. And I guess she remembered that and called me and said that she wanted me to come stay the night with her that night. So I did. I run over my stuff and I slept on their couch up by where Heron's room is and I have never slept so poorly in my entire life there was nothing wrong I mean it was quiet the couch was comfortable like I just couldn't sleep sometimes when I get anxious my head gets loud and I really try to explain it it's kind of like you're in a cafeteria and there's a bunch of people talking but you can't really make out what anyone's saying it's just sort of like that and the entire night as I laid there it was just like that non inside of my head. The next morning we got up and we started looking again. We did get a tip that someone might have seen them in Troy, Missouri. So I got a bunch of people coming over to the house and I had a map laid out on the table. I had all these uh, missing signs printed out for Heron. And I would send people up and down highways and they would stop at rest stops, gas stations, anywhere they could that would let them and put up these signs on the side of the road asking like if you'd seen him to contact the police. And at that time I was so hopeful. I thought, you know, okay, he's still alive, someone's seen him, you know, he probably just needed to get away and get some space right now. Um, but that entire day we spent looking and I just really was struggling to eat that day. And I have hypoglycemia. So if I don't eat, I faint and my blood sugar gets all wonky. Um. Eventually, I was just like, okay, nothing sounds good to me except for a Taco Bell cheese quesadilla, so I'm going to go to Taco Bell and get a cheese quesadilla. Oh, keep in mind that this entire time, my parents were coming back home, and all my friends, they ended up having the party at my house without me being there, and my friends who ran the party stayed behind and cleaned up the house. So I went back to the house to check on it, and the kids decided they were going to resume looking at parks in the area while they were seeing if they got any leads from the missing flyers. And that's when two of our friends found his car in West Dyson. And when they said they found his car, I just, I knew it was too late. I just could feel it in me that it was just, it was too late. I, at the time was in contact with our AP Euro teacher, Mr. Herman, uh, He came down to the park, and a bunch of people were at the park. And initially, the police didn't want us to look right away because they wanted to get the dogs out there to see if they couldn't, like, track them down using scent and stuff like that. But that was taking too long, and it just made me frustrated. So I got everyone that I could into a big group around me, and I just had different people going down different trails. It also was a really hot day, like, incredibly hot, like 100 degrees. So there was always a risk that someone was going to faint or pass out, so we really had to do the buddy thing and I I paired off with Mr. Herman and uh we figured that Heron was probably smart enough that if he was hiding that he wouldn't be on trail so we were just looking around off trail and the entire time I just felt so hopeless and at one point while we were walking along this creek bed I just stopped and I said he's dead there's he's he's just dead there's no way we're gonna find him and Mr. Herman was like don't say that he's probably fine he's just probably hiding under one of these like overhangs or in these caves or something cause it's really hot outside or maybe he's asleep or, but I just could feel that something was wrong. I don't know why, this still sticks out to me. While we were walking through the woods, I had fallen and landed on the ground and this is in the middle of the summer and there was this bright yellow leaf and it wasn't like a crunchy leaf from years past, it was like a leaf that had just fallen off of a tree. And I I picked up this leaf and I just stared at it. And it was in that moment that I knew with 100% certainty that Heron was dead. I, I don't know why, it just, that said to me that he was no longer with us. So eventually we decided to head back. I'll never forget it. There was helicopters everywhere looking for him. And as we were coming out of the woods, there was an ambulance parked up on the hill. And my friend's dad was standing there. He's a police officer. He came up to me, and I just knew from his expression that they found him. He told me that they had found Aaron's body and that he was dead. It honestly felt like the end of the world. Like, I, I don't know how else to explain it. I, I couldn't really stand anymore because of like, I, I hadn't really eaten anything outside of that cheese quesadilla and I didn't even eat the entire cheese quesadilla and I just hiked maybe like six miles and I just sat down on the ground and just started bawling, like crying like I'd never cried before. I went into just like, just a hysteria it felt like and I kept looking up the trail where all the police officers and paramedics were. And I wanted to go up there. I I just wanted to go up there because I couldn't believe them. Even though I knew it was true, it just felt like it couldn't be. And the last time I was with Heron, we had gotten into a debate about God, about whether or not God existed or whether or not there was a spirit world or an afterlife. And I used to be really religious. I would wear around this necklace that had St. Benedict on it and a cross. And for the first time in like... A year, I took the necklace off, and I just stared at it. And I thought to myself, how could there possibly be a God if he allows such awful things to happen? So I took off my necklace, and I threw it into this creek. And I had an existential crisis paired with an anxiety attack paired with one of the worst depressive episodes I've ever had. And everything just felt like it wasn't real. I was so angry at the police. The hardest part is that they had put a ticket on his car. I told them over the phone they need to be looking for his car. And I guess they weren't because clearly someone saw his car and put a ticket on it. It made me so angry because I felt like If someone had done their job correctly, there's a chance that Heron could still be alive. Yeah.
1: What what do you think the world is missing out by not getting to know Heron?
2: A lot. He said he just wanted to be a teacher, but I feel like he was going to do something greater. He was honestly going to change the world in some way. You know, it's always been my goal to be president the united states but when i looked at him i saw someone and i felt like whatever he would do it would make more change than anything i could do as president because he just had it and i truly believe that he was going to make this world into something much better than what it currently was
1: Mm -hmm. at his funeral there was obviously like a big sense of loss but I felt that a lot of the responsibility that he kind of maybe felt or that a lot of people kind of thought he would take care of, you know what I mean, like, um, and that he would do something great, right? That was kind of a given. But when he's gone, it's sort of like I felt in that room that our job was to continue, like, what he was doing, you know, in some way, whatever way it is.
2: Yeah, there's something else that I want to mention. Yeah. Uh, give me a second, please. I'll be right back. Sure. Yeah. I'm back. Mm. So, um, a day or two after what happened, me and some of his friends went back up there to where they found his body, uh... We wanted to see where he was, and one of my friends was there when they found him. And at the time, uh, this friend, Alec, he found the cap of the pill bottle that Heron had overdosed on. And later on, he gave that cap to me. And I'm, I'm holding it right now, and I'm looking at it. And I've still kept it after all this time. I know I should let it go, but I just can't. Because I just can't stop thinking that this is the last thing that Aaron probably ever touched while he was alive. And it's just one of those things that weighs on my shoulder.
1: And how how have you been uh, these past few months?
2: Um, I saw during the summer two therapists. Uh, it started off with just seeing one, but that therapist said I was developing some of the precursors to PTSD. So I started seeing a woman who did this therapy called EMDR. I don't remember what it stands for, but it was really intense and hard stuff, but I still struggle with it. And I still feel a lot of pain and guilt over what happened. I feel like, had I gone with my gut, had I not listened to what the police said and just told everyone to keep looking at the parks, there's a chance that he might have still been alive. And I feel like had I trusted my instinct and had I, I don't know, been a better leader, I could have led people to find him sooner and all this wouldn't have happened.
1: I can understand. Can understand that um, you did quite a bit I don't know but I really I'd... would love for you to not beat yourself up and has the therapy helped
2: yeah it's it's Is helped it... with the worst of it I still sometimes get really depressed and sad I also still have a lot of nightmares I have this one reoccurring dream where him and I have both left AP out class and we're walking down the stairwell right by this classroom, and he's just in front of me. And the entire time I'm calling out to him saying, hey, Heron, hold up, wait, I need to talk to you, I need to tell you something. And when we get to the bottom of the stairwell, to the part that leads outside, he pauses. He looks over his shoulder at me, then he opens the door and he steps out. And then I fall out behind him and he's just gone. And I have this dream, I'd say probably like once a week. <laughs> And every time I wake up crying.
1: So you're at university now. It's like a transition just in that sense of your life. Yeah. Um, Has that been better than staying in St. Louis? Uh, I would definitely say so.
2: It's definitely been better that I got out of town and got to go somewhere new but it's hard cuz like i feel like every day i wake up and i put on a mask this happy go lucky i'm someday gonna rule the world awesome person type mask and i'm smiling and i'm laughing and all my homework's done and everyone's like wow charlie you're so great you you know have a's in all your classes and you're in all these clubs and you know you're doing great in all your activities and I feel like that's just so far from the truth
1: that you're doing great yeah Is that what, what you think?
2: or that I am great and it's just sort of painful because I feel like no one really knows who I am and sometimes people ask if I'm okay because I look sad sometimes I'm like oh it's nothing I'm just you know daydreaming or I'm lost in thought. Sometimes I'll tell people a bit of what I went through, like, oh, I've lost some people this year, and it's been tough. But I don't really feel like anyone really gets what it is that I'm dealing with right now, and that all of his friends are dealing with right now.
3: I mean, it's as if time just stopped and everything just started moving really slowly. The days, both of those days seemed never ending. I got the call from Charlie. It was already raining outside. And the second I heard it, I just knew that we had to go. We started driving. We started driving everywhere around St. Louis that we had been with him and we didn't find him. And then we all just went to bed that day, just really kind of scared and it's it's, as I said it's as if time just stopped things just stopped and we were all focused on trying to find him
1: that's Gokul one of Heron's best friends when I went to Heron's wake I met a lot of those friends that Charlie mentioned and oddly enough it made me happy because here was this pretty incredible group of kids of all ethnicities faiths genders and Heron was kind of at the center of it all And it wasn't just that he was kind and caring, or funny, or just ridiculously smart. He was all those things. But he also made everyone better.
3: Yeah, if you asked me a year ago about who Heron was, I would say he was my debate partner and he was my best friend. And in the year since of all the events that have happened, uh, I would say that he's become even more important to me in that he taught me so much and he was an important friend to almost everyone in the community he was a kind person so he was just a really larger than life personality i would say Mm -hmm. i just had no idea how we became friends that quickly but when we met we just knew that we were going to get along and we'd have long discussions about college about uh, life in general about how both of us were people that were kind of only known for one thing heron was
1: known for being smart i was known for the spelling bee in 2015, Gogol was co champion of the national spelling
3: bee. Poblacion. Yismo. Does this come from the Greek root zygon, meaning yoke? Yes. Nishtama, Pipsisoa, Pyrialaxia.
1: Correct. If you spell this word correctly, the
3: Scripps national spelling bee will declare you and Vanya co champions.
0: Ready? None attack.
3: None attack. <clears throat> non attack, N U N A T A K, non attack. Correct. That was kind of all people really knew us for, even people that we like to consider our friends. So only both of us could really understand the nuances of being considered accomplished, but wanting to be known for other things. And that's just who Heron really was. And he had so many different facets of his personality that certain people knew, and he was a really complex person. So the heron I knew is different than the heron that someone else knew because he had so many different awesome traits that we would all talk about. I mean, I was hearing stories and aspects of his personality that even I didn't know about, and I and I, I considered him to be my best friend.
1: How do you cope with this? I mean, how, how what do you do? I mean, not everything's perfect, but...
3: I think the best way I do it is to just... Uh, live by following some of the advice that he would give me throughout the years. Uh, so specifically, controlling your emotions in a positive manner. So when you get angry, why do you care so much? It's such a simple thing. There's no reason to get all worked up about it. But also specifically, when I was making my college decision choices, the way Heron lived his life really impacted the way I saw how my future should pan out. I stopped thinking about money as much and my career and started thinking more about what am I doing positively for the world and how do I make a small impact with everything that I do
1: this might be corny but is there anything you would want to say to Heron
3: that's a good question I mean I wasn't the only person that did this but like my friends and I would find ourselves wanting to randomly text him Mm -hmm. even after You know,
1: -hmm.
3: and I feel like I probably did at some point but I mean I have a lot of unanswered questions discussions that I always wanted to have about philosophy questions about the things that he believed in but I would just probably want him to know that I did consider him the best friend I'd ever had and that's all I really wanted to know I don't think I ever got the chance to fully express that to him and how much he meant to me so that's all I really wish I could have said
1: One of the toughest things about suicide is the why, because you'll never really know. And as a parent, I can't imagine what that's like. I asked Taryn's mom, Shanti, if she'd be willing to talk about this, and she said she would, if perhaps it could help another family. Is there something that you'd like to tell parents of any child who's going through depression? Um that maybe you've wished you knew before?
0: Yes. Um, First of all, I wish I knew that Heron was depressed. Um, Heron did confide in us on the 2nd of April that he was having suicidal thoughts almost every day. And I had no clue that he was depressed. So the lesson for me is teenage depression is not always like what we think as adult depression, feeling sad. So the few facts that I learned about teenage depression, I mean, mental illnesses in children in general, 20% of children between the ages of 13 to 18 live with mental health conditions. Serious mental health illnesses and it takes an average of eight to ten years to diagnose teenage mental health disorders. Those were new statistics for me. You know unfortunately we characterize certain behavior during teenage years, irritability, risk-taking behavior. Irritability is also a sign of depression so that's the only thing looking back I had noticed more irritability since December. But when I asked Heron, when did you first ever have suicidal thoughts? He said, as early as sixth grade. Um, I mean, I was really shocked. I thought Heron was always a happy, positive child. He was there for everyone. I mean, he was, um, you know, a child that every parent would be proud to have. I mean, all three of my children are that way. So um, watch your child closely and be empathetic. You know, we typically kind of label them as teenage behavior, but they are doing it for a reason. So the best thing, I mean, when parents judge children, (laughs) they're not going to open up. So be empathetic, listen to them, and a message for youth. You know, if one in five teenagers suffer from mental health disorder, this should be an important education for everyone. Talking about mental health does not lead one to get depression. Talking about suicide does not lead one to suicide. So, I think the awareness is important. It may not be for our children. Even if our children are strong, they could help another child. You know, everything is not about ourselves. We need to think of the well being of the whole community. So, if your child is informed, they might be able to save a life.
1: Shanti is a primary care physician, and she told me some interesting things she's learned about our brain development and how teens can be particularly susceptible to depression and thoughts of suicide.
0: You know, the brain does not develop fully until the third decade. So between 25 to 30 years is when the brain completely develops. And the parts in the brain that mature the last are the amygdala, which is the emotional center. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the reasoning center, planning, decision-making, impulse control. And unfortunately, the amygdala develops first, which is the emotional center that's responsible for anxiety, depression, that part. And the prefrontal cortex develops later. So there are a lot of things going on in the teenage brain.
1: In a new survey released by the CDC, the national suicide rate increased by 33% between 1999 and 2017. I asked Shanti if she had any thoughts on what was contributing to this rise in suicide rates, especially amongst
0: teens. You know, being a primary care physician, I always wonder, what is the root cause of it? What are we doing wrong? I mean, why is this happening? My answer is, you know, as a community, we are getting more and more self-centered. I kind of feel that the core nature of humans is love, compassion, empathy. However, in the drama of this world, we get wrapped up in ego, pride, um, needing acceptance, fame, wealth, and we lose compassion, empathy. You know, we just want things for us. Somehow we have become very selfish creatures. Mm -hmm. I think that's the underlying cause.
1: And what about bullying? Is that part of it?
0: Children are not kind, always. (laughs) It's not the fault of children. It's the fault of adults. You know, Mm -hmm. somehow in the community, we sometimes try to score a point by putting someone down. That has become a norm, Mm -hmm. in our culture so you know when children bullied it's partly the way they are raised and another part might be they are suffering from something maybe they are suffering from some kind of a trauma at home you know they don't know how to let out and so how do we handle people who are badly behaved in school they are punished and they have detention So that's not going to solve the problem. So I actually came across a few schools in Baltimore where they have a mindfulness or meditation yoga room where there is a counselor who is kind, compassionate, tries to talk to the child, goes through what's going on, helps them calm down, breathing exercises, yoga exercises empathize with them. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to have a different way of disciplining. Discipline doesn't Mm -hmm. mean harsh words, unkind words. It's Mm -hmm. to understand, show compassion, show empathy.
1: Have you spoken with any other, I guess, survivors, parents, um, or any other families who have gone through anything similar?
0: You know, it's interesting. I have people reach out who I have not known, who I've never met, whose children are going through difficulties. Um, unfortunately, I mean, there's not a whole lot I know to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we got help for Heron. He saw psychiatrists, psychiatrist. He saw counselors. He did get inpatient treatment. But we could not help him. So that's why I stress on prevention. You know, don't wait till your child gets to the suicidal state mm-hmm. to reach out for help. I think early detection is important, and more important is prevention from kindergarten. So I'm actually trying to work with schools to see if, you know, we have this proven resource of mindfulness meditation which has science behind it which shows structural changes in the brain I think we need to give children the tool Mm -hmm. before they are exposed to you know all this negativity in the world you know there's another thing I learned um, when a parent or for that matter a teacher if you're anxious or depressed you don't have to open your mouth Your child will sense it. And the same is if you're in peace. You don't have to say anything. Your child will sense it. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to take care of ourselves first. Mm -hmm. We need to take care of our teachers. You know, actually, everyone needs to be taken care of. I mean, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, you know.
1: And you mentioned meditation. Is that something that's helped you?
0: I actually started meditating Two years ago, when I lost my father, um, it was difficult for me. Um, He actually moved in with us and he lived with us since Haran was six weeks old. Mm -hmm. And he was part of the family and losing him was very, very difficult. And the same year, our twins left for college. So we became from a six-people family to a three-person family. It was a big change. And I feel the impact. And that's when I started meditating. And I saw a difference in the way I felt. I felt calmer. Mm -hmm. Um, Little things didn't bother me as much.
1: Do you go to temple often?
0: I have not gone to the temple since Haran. Mm -hmm. No, I don't go to the temple. My temple is my home. And I find peace within myself. I'm working on looking inside. We don't have to go to the temple to search for God. God is in every person. So if someone is negative, if I feel hurt, I just tell myself there is God within that person Mm to forgive him. I think the core of every religion is the same message. Be kind, be compassionate, Mm -hmm. love all, serve all. That's the core of every religion.
1: Even though Heron was a vocal atheist, he really embodied all these core principles that Shanti describes.
0: Heron had a passion to learn. He was like a sponge. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved learning. You know, any field. You know, he's a people's person. He is the most compassionate, empathic child. I remember in third grade, um, we used to get calls from teachers very often. <laughs> One of his teachers said, I just wanted to share this with you. There was a child struggling in math and Haran took it upon himself to coach this child. And when the test came, the other child scored well and you should have seen Haran. He was just overjoyed and he was cheering. So, I mean, that's the kind of child. Just because he was intellectually smart, he never looked at another person as inferior. He really wanted to make a difference in this world. I mean, this was meant to happen for a high purpose. That's what I'm thinking. But, you know, I wouldn't have said this a year ago. I mean, we are temporary visitors in this world. We come from the dust and we become dust. We come with nothing and we go with nothing. So... You know, Mm -hmm. I, I sort of believe, this is my theory, I might not be right. God gave Aaron all this, you know, he made him such a wonderful human being. And then he gave him this depression and took him to bring awareness in the community that no one is immune to it i mean sometimes you feel you know if you are depressed there's something wrong with your life but it's not always so i honestly think Haram touched many people's heart and i think i i think we will know why it happened at some stage
1: Shanti's strength and her dedication to raising awareness is really inspiring, and although this episode is about a specific person in Heron, suicide is something that has touched my life a few times in the past couple years. A friend of mine attempted suicide, but luckily failed. Another friend, Chris Cornell, the iconic lead singer of Soundgarden, was a childhood hero of mine. And we forged a relationship after we both performed on a famous BBC TV show called Later with Jules Holland. A few months later, he asked me to open his sold-out North American tour, and it was a dream come true, literally. And I've been an opener plenty of times. Sometimes the headliner's cool, sometimes they have no interest in me. But Chris was cool as hell. I had a spot on his bus, I was paid well, and every night he brought me out to sing with him. which meant a lot to me. But on May 18th, 2017, I woke up to my phone buzzing with the news that he had taken his life. I couldn't understand it. Even a guy like him, who had everything and who was also incredibly kind and compassionate towards others he was in tremendous pain. And that is what's so tough. Suicide saddens you, and it maddens you. And you'll never really know the full answer as to why. But something that Charlie said really stuck with me. The more people share their own mental health struggles, the easier it becomes for others to open up and ask for help. So that's why I'm sharing this story, and I hope it can bring some comfort or insight to anyone in need. One thing I've learned this past year is that too often the depressed or suicidal person cannot or will not reach out for help on their own. So it's on the community to identify it early on, and prevention is key. It takes a village to raise a child, as they say. In today's world, sometimes it takes a village to keep them alive. And that marks the end of peace of mind at least for now. Thank you for coming along for the ride. If you've enjoyed this season, please share with a friend or leave us a review. We may drop some bonus episodes in the next few months, so make sure you're subscribed and you can find the album, Peace of Mind, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Vinyl, CDs, and tour dates are available on my website, bmin.com. That's B-H-I-M-A-N.com. And thanks again. peace of mind is produced and distributed by critical frequency this episode was written and produced by katie ross and me b beeman our executive producer is amy westervelt the music from this episode was performed by me john Shamia, and chris cornell sound design and mix by me thanks for listening